بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحم ونسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائی از دا نائنتھ آف اکٹوبر ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد of our beloved mother, Sayyida Khadija bin Khuwailid radiyallahu And I've reached the point where I've mentioned that our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he's returned from the trade caravan whom he was representing Khadija radiyallahu and the miracles which Maysar reported back radiyallahu It is also recorded that apart from mentioning the miraculous incidents during the journey, Sayyidina Maysara radiyallahu, he related that our beloved messenger was as such, and he described, a most pleasant man to be with, honest, kind and truthful. He never tried to burden others with his needs, yet he was most helpful to others. He did not wait for them to ask for help. He was always ready to oblige. Subhanallah. So this is recorded in Ibn Hisham in his Seerah, volume 1, page 198 to 200. Hafiz Ibn Sayyid Al-Nas in his Uyun Al-Athar, volume 1, page 115 to 117. So apart from the miracles, his character was obviously unblemished. And Maysara radiyallahu said that he was a joy to be with. He was always there helping others, the first to help. And he didn't even wait for people to ask. It was as if he was ready to serve others. It is further related. When Maysara informed Sayyidah Khatijah of the miraculous events, she thereupon went to Warakah and repeated those things to him. Warakah responded, If this is true, O Khatijah, then... Muhammad is the prophet of our people. Long have I known that a prophet is to be expected and indeed his time has now come, i.e. it is almost upon us. So this is recorded in Tabrani in his Ausat. Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid 8-256 stated Hassan Ibn Ishaq Ibn Hisham in his Sira 1-247. So who better to go to? Khadija gets all the knowledge from Maysara. She obviously saw some miracles herself as well with the angels. And she went to her learned cousin, Ay Waraka, Ay, the scholar of scripture. And when Waraka was informed, he, he said, if it is true, meaning we need to still probably verify more, then he certainly is the prophet. Because I expected him to be here. And he goes, the time is almost upon us. Subhanallah, this would then indicate that 15 years prior to his proclamation, these two noble souls, Khadija and Waraka, radiyallahuma, were now acquainted with our beloved messenger's prophethood. Subhanallah, so think about that. So this is the status of these noble souls. So don't forget, this is not close to the proclamation. There's 15 years left. And what are they discussing? Because it's him. So 15 years prior to his proclaiming, these two noble souls were 
you know, you could say absolutely convinced or thereabouts. So let us now take some valuable lessons from the report I've mentioned. Firstly, with regards to Maysara, it appears that this noble personality passed away before Rasulullah proclaimed. Hafiz ibn Hajar Askalani, he said, Until now, not a single authentic hadith could establish the companionship of Maysara. This is recorded in Ali Isaba and Hafiz Zurqani in his Sharh Al Mawahib, Volume 1, page 198. So, even though I'm saying, he apparently passed away before Rasulullah called to Prophet to his Prophethood. And the great Ibn Hajar Asqalani, who's Amir al Mu'minin of Hadith, he goes, I can't find a single report which indicates he became a companion of Rasulullah. So, this is important. A companion, one of the distinctions of a companion is Rasulullah must call to his prophethood. Mm-hmm. If he is not calling to his prophethood, then they are not technically called companions. Even though you could argue they've seen Rasulullah, they've got Iman. But isn't it important that the Prophet's calling? So it's a technical point. Whatever the case, he was certainly a righteous and noble soul. So the scholars still state mm-hmm. The second lesson, it is important to point out this was the second journey to Asham. It wasn't the first. Previously, at the age of 12, Rasulullah had traveled there with his uncle Abu Talib. All his trade journeys were undertaken prior to prophethood. So how old was he on this trade journey? He was 25. So 13 years prior to that, so he was Bali or thereabouts. He went on his first trade journey. Who was he with? With Abu Talib. And that's famous. It's recorded in Tirmidhi. And, and it's a Sayyih Ghadib Hadith. Shaykh Al-Bani stated uh, it's a Sayyih Hadith. So who was with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa on that first trade journey? Abu Bakr. Mm-hmm. So it's important to keep the sequence in mind. This was the second you know, prominent journey of his to Sham. And all of his trade journeys were before Nabuth. That's, that's interesting. He didn't take a trade journey after Nabuth. Sallallahu alayhi wa Other trade journeys are also mentioned. For instance, it is related in Hakim in his Mustadrak and Sheikh Shibli Noamani in his Seerat al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, volume 1, page 160 of the New English Translation, that Khadija radiyallahu also sent our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for trade in Jorash in Yemen. So another report indicates that he went to Yemen. So this must have been another journey. But again, he was uh, hired by Sayyid Khadija radiyallahu Hafiz Zahabi he confirmed that Rasulullah had been to Jurash twice and each time Khatija had given him one camel by way of remuneration. So according to the great Hafiz Zahabi, he went twice to Yemen and each time Khatija had given him a camel and this was his wage. It is also related 
that when the delegation of Abdul Qais came from Bahrain to embrace Islam, our beloved Messenger inquired about several places in Bahrain. This surprised the delegation. And they said that you know more about our land than even ourselves. Upon which Rasulullah told them that he had traveled extensively in their lands. This is recorded in Ahmad in his Muslim, volume 4, page 206, and Sheikh Shibli Nomani in his Seerat al Nabi, volume 1, page 164 of the New English Translation. So he's also been to Bahrain. And of course, Bahrain is to the south of the Arabian Peninsula. And what's shocking, the people there, they, they thought this was a miracle. And the Prophet responded, No, because I've traveled there extensively. I know the land very well. So Sheikh Shibli Nomani, he commented here. This is in his Seerat al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, volume 1, page 160-4 of the New English Translation. The European historians, they have tried to elaborate on this subject to support an accusation of this. That Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam learned everything he said in his various journeys. And they thus reject that he had revealed knowledge. So stopping the quote. So obviously, Rasulullah traveled. So if you don't believe he's a prophet, you're going to try and find a way to explain where he's getting this knowledge from. So the Sheikh, he said, some of them have used these trade journeys because look, he was traveling, he got to know about the people of the book and he was, taught, he was stealing from them. Then he said, in fact, one of them has written that the Prophet traveled by ship, basing his claim on information in the Quran about the speed of sea vessels and cyclonic waves, which he says one can only describe through personal experience. I refer to Margot Liot's book, Muhammad, page 57. So one of them even goes that far, he goes, Look, he also traveled on sea. And when, we, when he was pushed, how did you know he traveled on sea? He goes, well, the Quran mentions ships and sea and this, that. He goes, he must have traveled. <laughs> then the Sheikh said, this author also claimed that the Prophet had visited Egypt and had studied the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> However, even the records of history, which allow anything to be recorded, do not even disclose these supposed journeys. <laughs> so notice, you know, drowning men clutching at straws. They're trying to disprove his prophethood. And this is their attempt, imagine. He goes, look, we've got something, he's traveled. So let's just chuck in Egypt. Let's chuck in, he went on the sea. And all of that obviously is nothing but falsehood, right? You know, the prophet was just doing trade journeys. You know, he wasn't out to gather knowledge of the people of the scripture, you know, the rest of it, astaghfirullah. But we do accept he traveled. It is also important to point out that the sacred duty of the office of Nabuwat prevented Rasulullah from continuing with these travels. So if a person states, why didn't he continue doing business? So the obvious response is, he's got the whole world on his shoulders now. He's got to pass the message. So he hasn't got the time to go on these trade journeys. A third lesson we can take. Hafiz Zurqani, he said in his Shagh al-Mawahib, volume 1, page 199, from the aforementioned hadith, 
it appears that it is possible for some people to witness the physical presence of angels as Maysala caught sight of the angels offering shade to Rasulullah so this is another important lesson prophets obviously can see angels can non-prophets see angels and the response to that is absolutely and here's the proof Maysala said I saw two angels Khadija seconded it and also the women folk she called also they vetted it the third time. So this proves that non-prophets can see angels. And there's other reports, I'll mention one briefly. The hadith is in Sayyid Muslim. And the Prophet wasalam, said that a man was going to see a brother uh, in another part of the uh, city. And he suddenly comes face to face with a man. And the man says, where are you going? So the one traveling, he says, I'm going to see my brother on the other side of the city or in another city. So the man asked him, is there any other reason you're traveling there? So the man is thinking, why is he asking me these questions? Then he says, no, I just want to see my brother. The man asking the question said, I am an angel. And I've been sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to inform you that he loves you just as you love going to visit your brother for his pleasure. So this is the uh, rough meaning of the hadith. Imam Nawwi said he wasn't a prophet. So it proves non-prophets can see angels. But what's very strange about this report, the angel discloses identity. That is strange. Normally, obviously, you know, we might have seen angels, you know. You know who knows, around the Kaaba, you know, in the holy places. But do we know the angels? Of course not. The fact that he disclosed his identity, that's also very interesting. So again, this also proves this from these reports of Maysal al-Adiyyadna. Shaykh al-Ahadith Mawlana Muhammad Idris Kandahlubi, he elaborated further in his Seerat al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, volume 1, page 128 of the English translation. The sighting of the angels, alayhi salatu wa salam, by Sayyidah Maryam radiyallahu is mentioned in the Quran. Whilst the sighting of Sayyidah Hajira is mentioned in Sayyid Bukhari in the chapter of Al Anbiya. The sighting of the Qiram and Katibin, the recording angels by Imran ibn Hussein, is quoted in Al Isaba. So let's look at this. So one of the scholars of the Hadith, Shaykh al Hadith, Mawlana Muhammad Idris Khan Dahlabi, he said, Maryam saw Jibreel. It's mentioned clearly in the Quran. The majority says she's not a prophet. So that proves that a non-prophet can see an angel and converse. Then he mentions Sayyidah Hajira. She also saw an angel. So this is in Bukhari. And this was in reference to when Ibrahim left his beloved wife and young son in the desert in Makkah. And then Jibreel appeared. And he says, strike your foot on the ground. And Ismail struck his foot and Zamzam came out. So she saw Jibreel, Hajira. Then he mentions a third. He goes, Imran ibn Hussein. He actually saw the Kiram and Katibin. Now this is interesting. Imran ibn Hussein is obviously a companion of the Prophet. He embraced Islam quite late in the prophethood. He saw Kiram and Katibin. So the Kiram and Katibin are your recording angels. So can we see the Karam al-Katibin? 
And also what's interesting, he would shake hands with the angels. In Sayyid Muslim, it mentions he would shake hands with the angels. Then he stopped. And then he worked out why they'd stopped shaking hands with him. It's because he cauterized, he used fire for the wound. And the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't like fire as treatment. So the angels left him. And he repented from that, even though it wasn't a sin. And then the angels started shaking hands with him again. So it's clearly proved that the angels can come to non-prophets. And of course it proves that these are noble souls. The other thing, which is worth pointing out, the angels always come in the form of a man. They never appear in the form of a woman. That's interesting. And also, they also can appear in the form of an ailing man. Very famous hadith in Sayyid Bukhari mentions that the angel came in the form of a bold man, another came in, uh, uh, in the form of a blind man, and another came in the form of leprosy. He had leprosy. And then it was a test. And then to cut a long narration short, uh, the one who was bold, uh, there was another there was a person who was bold and then he actually uh, the angel touched him he gave him back his hair but when he actually came across this angel who was now bold and the angel who was bold said could you help me look like you've been blessed he goes no i can't help you so the angel goes may you go back to what you was if you're lying to me he became bold again and that also proves to be bold is an ailment is an illness and the second, the blind, the same thing, uh, not the blind, uh, yeah, was it the blind? The leper, sorry, the leper, he goes, if you, he goes, can you help me? The angel came in the form of a leper. And he goes, you look like you're blessed, can you help me? And he goes, no. He goes, this is my own, I've earned this myself. And the angel goes, if you're lying, may you go back to your original state. He went back to being a leper. The blind man, he was wise. The angel came who, you know, in the image of a blind man. He goes, can you help me? He goes, of course I can. He goes, you are in my condition. Allah, Allah bless me. The angel goes, keep your goods with the blessings of Allah. Allah, Allah is pleased with you. He's upset with your two companions. So they were all, you know, compatriots. So what does that prove? The angels can come in ailing forms as well. Another report indicates that they come as beggars. So the scholars say you have to be very careful to turn away beggars. They may be angels. That was shocked me that because you know Shaitan always pro, you know starts poking you. Oh, he's a professional beggar. He's always here. Then I start thinking, what if, what if he's an angel? And she just you know just drop something in him, mashallah. If he's a professional beggar, you know, you're not bothered about Allah. Allah's not going to deprive you. So Subhanallah, many lessons you can take. So it's important when you go through the reports to extract lessons as well. So let's return back to our beloved mother. The next section entitled The Blessed Marriage. It is related that when Maysara had reported back to Sayyidah Khatija, Nufaysa, a female servant of Khatija came to Rasulullah and asked, Why don't you get married? He replied, I don't have the means to marry. She responded, If you are given the means, if you call to an alliance where there's beauty, property, nobility and abundance, would you give your consent? Who are you referring to? Replied Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Khatija came the reply. Rasulullah responded sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And just how could such a marriage be mine? She responded, leave that to me. He responded, if what you say be true, then for my, for my part, I am willing. 
This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, Ibn Ishaq, page 84, and Ibn Hisham in his Sira. So I mentioned this, I think, yesterday or the night prior. But this adds a few details. The Prophet wasn't thinking of marriage. So the whole process was put in process by Khadija, radiyallahu. And she sent another servant. It was a female. Why? It's more appropriate for a female, maybe in this scenario. So Nufaysa, uh, I don't know whether she was a companion, she proposed, and then the Prophet said, who are you referring to? Because Khadija. And then he, go, she, he said, I'm, I'm ready if she's, if she's willing. Nufaysa then returned with the great glad tidings. And Sayyidah Khadija, thereupon called Rasulullah himself, sallallahu alayhi wa Upon arrival, she said, O son of my uncle, I love you for your kinship with me and also for you are ever in the center, not being a partisan amongst the people for this or for that. I also love you for your trustworthiness and for the beauty of your character and the truthfulness of your speech. This is in Ibn Ishaq, page 120, Ibn Hisham in his Sira. So what was the first thing Khadija said face to face to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa She first said, O son of my uncle, like I mentioned, they've got a common ancestor, Koskose. And then she goes, I love you due to this tie, number one. I love you because you are never, you never take sides. You always are impartial. I love that you are known for your trustworthiness, Al-Ameen. For the beauty of your character and the truthfulness of your speech. So think about that. How well has she described Rasulullah? And how well, how was she now, how did she know that? So this shows that this, all of the reports are going back to her. Our beloved mother, then offered her hand in marriage. And Rasulullah, he graciously accepted. So what's the details? In Tabarani, Bazaar, Kashif al-Astar 3-237 Al-Haytami in Majma' al-Zawaid 9-222 stated Hassan Hayat al-Sahaba volume 4 page 266-7 of the New English Translation Sayyidina Jabr he relates Khatija's sister Sayyida Hala she hired Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and another man for trading on her behalf to stop in the court so Khatija obviously she had siblings one of her famous sisters was Hala. So, what's interesting about that? That name, who was the first husband of Khatija? Abu Hala. So, don't get confused. Obviously, she's not married her own father, stuff for that, right? That's just by the by. But Hala is the name of her sister. And Hala, she's hired Rasulullah and another man for her trade journey. When they returned from their journey and the accounts were settled, a sum of money had to be paid by Khadija's sister. The other man thereupon impatiently kept demanding his share. In other words, he goes, look, we've done what you've told us to do. Why are you delaying in paying us? He was impatient. Then when Rasulullah was reminded, that he should also seek his due, because it's your right, he replied, I am shy on I am shy to ask. <laughs> so think about that. And there's actually a hadith, the hadith in Ibn Majah, authentic. The Prophet said, pay the laborer his wage before his sweat dries. A very famous hadith. 
So that is the right of a person. Somebody does some work for you, you need to pay him. But that is talking about the one who needs to pay. <laughs> it's another thing if you forfeit that right. So here, don't think the Prophet is going against the Sharia, astaghfirullah, even though this is before prophethood. He was, he was obviously the man of immense character. So he said, look, I'm not going to ask. I'm sure she'll pay like we'd say, you know, I'm not going to bother. Hala radiyallah. She thereupon reported this to Khadija. So look how interesting. Hala was impressed because one of them persisted. Muhammad didn't. So why she told Khadija about this? That's interesting. Because Hala was already married. So Hala was thinking, you know, you can see between the lines. She wanted Khadija to get involved. Radiyallah. She was greatly pleased by this Khadija. And this was another factor in marrying him. Seeing that the least of his concerns was her vast wealth. <laughs> she therefore asked him to seek her father's consent. So look how amazing. Khatija obviously being the most wealthiest person. Definitely the female amongst the Quraysh. People were after her wealth. So seeing this obviously this was a further proof that he wasn't concerned about wealth. So when the Prophet wasallam wanted the marriage to take place. Khatija asked the Prophet, he goes, ask my father's consent. So I'm going to explain this. Like I mentioned a few sessions prior, her father's passed away. So this report mentions, ask my father's consent. The Prophet told, your father is a rich man and I am afraid he will not agree. Meaning, he considers wealth a status. I haven't got wealth. So I don't think he will be advisable for me to ask. She replied, go and speak to him. I will take care of my father. Also, you better see him at a time he is drunk. So, what's happening? She says, I'm going to arrange it. And her father would drink. And she said, I will make sure that it will coincide with that. He said, Allah did as directed. And when he approached her father, the father got him married. The following morning when her father attended a gathering, someone said, you have done extremely well to get your daughter married to Muhammad. So somebody congratulated him. He goes, you know, a perfect match for your daughter. The father said in surprise, what are you talking about? He goes, have I done such a thing? When the people confirmed, yes, he got up, he went to his daughter Khatija and asked, the people informed me that I got Muhammad married to you. Is this true? She said, yes, you will never regret your decision for Muhammad is and she started praising him. She then enumerated the great virtues of Rasulullah so much that the father became pleased. Khatija later sent two oqiya of silver or gold to Rasulullah informing him to use it to purchase a set of clothing to give her as a gift as well as a sheep and some other items with which to host a meal and to further please her father. Rasulullah complied with this. So look how beautiful. Khatija knew he was not financially, you know, sound at the time. So she's basically arranging the whole wedding. But she's doing it in a way that her father's thinking he's arranging it. 
So Khatija gives two oki of gold or silver for clothing, and the clothing was for Khatija. But the impression was that the Prophet bought it for the and she gave a sheep and some other things, and this was to host, to offer a meal to please her father. So now it mentions here her father is still alive, and there's a strangeness in terms of his father being drunk, her father being drunk. I'm going to explain this, you know, in the next session or, show, uh, uh, or so, inshallah. In a slightly different report, it mentions in Bazar and Hayat al-Sahab, volume 4, page 267 of the New English Translation, Sayyida Khatija radiyallah informed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa to buy the clothing and give it as a gift to her father. So one report says he gave her, she gave her some, him something sallallahu alayhi wa so that the clothing was for her. Another report says, no, buy the clothing for my father, give it as a gift to my father. So again, there's no contradiction. Maybe the wealth was used for both, you know, mashallah. And inshallah, we will continue from here tomorrow. So all I mentioned today was basically, we took a few vital lessons from the trade journey with Maysara, which the scholars have highlighted. And then I mentioned that Maysara himself, according to the most sound view, he was not blessed to be a companion of Rasulullah. He passed away before prophethood. And then I mentioned that this was actually the second trade journey. The journey with Abu Bakr was 12 years or so earlier. And then I mentioned that the Kofar look into these trade journeys to try and find fault with Rasulullah, but this drowning men clutching at straws. And then of course I mentioned now the blessed marriage, and it's far more detailed, but I'll give you that if we're still alive tomorrow in charge. Yeah? Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi, subhanakallahumma bihamdika, ashtu la ilaha illa anta astaghfirika atu gulaika adhi bilaim nishan anjim, subhanallah rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun, assalamu alayhi wa rahmatullahi 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 wa r